0: today and we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus name amen the last few years here at the bridge it's kind of evolved where summertime especially the month of July has become a unique month for us there's a lot going on you know normally summertime is kind of a slow time as a rule because people are taking vacations and you know doing this and doing that and And that's going on, sure. We've just had students graduate, and and now you've got the break between school years. But one of the things that's happened the last few years is, in the month of July, we see really three significant things going on. Number one, our kids' summer day camp, which week before last, and then it culminated last Sunday morning, I mean, it was a great, great time. We had 600 and something kids gathered here. It was awesome all week long. And then last Sunday morning, I was so pleased and so proud of of our kids worship team up here, leading worship on Sunday and Pastor Jeremy sharing God's word to us. It was just a great, great Sunday. And then in a couple of weeks, our high school students will be going to summer camp. Now, one of the reasons why we do kids' summer day camp here at the church is that camp has gotten really expensive. I mean, it's expensive to go to camp. We had 600-and-something kids, but let me tell you something. It's pretty cool. It costs, what, almost $300 to go to youth camp now. We've got 60-something kids and leaders going to summer camp here in about two weeks. Isn't that awesome? It is, whether you know it or not. maybe I know some of you are still stuck on $300 and you're still trying to get past that. But the point is Kids are excited about God. Teenagers are excited about going to camp, hanging out with each other, and worshiping God and learning about God. It's, it's just an exciting time of year for the church. But, but today, I, I want to share some things in conjunction with this. And, and I'm hoping that every mom and dad or mom and dad-to-be down the road, every grandpa and grandma can today wrap their hearts around what God is doing here in our church. And today I want to talk to you about generational faith. Generational faith. And you know, in, in about three weeks now, we'll be having what we call our back to school bash. It's actually in August, but we prepare for it for months leading up to August. But the first Saturday in August, we're going to pass out about 2,000 backpacks to families in need. We're going to be given back-to-school haircuts. We're going to be given gently used clothing, a pancake breakfast, sports physicals, all kinds of stuff, free of charge. We're just here to minister to needy people in our church and in our community. And we're trying to make a statement to our community and to the world that church is not about a bunch of old people talking about the past. It's about people of all ages experiencing God together. That's what the church is supposed to be. And you know I've learned through the years children are really important to God even teenagers those of you who've got teenagers some days you wonder children our children are really really important to God and some of you forgot what you were like when you were teenagers every now and then when you're looking at your kids and grandkids shaking your head go back and think about what you were like when you were a teenager okay we've all been on that journey but our children are important to God and the Bible gives us some guidelines about raising our children about parenting about the church as a whole about structuring our lives so that God works in our lives and then we pass it on to the next generation so today I want to share some thoughts from the book of judges I've been reading for several days in my personal private time been reading from the book of judges And there's some themes that I see over and over and over again as you see human nature struggling with godliness. We see that in our society, but it's not anything new. It's always been going on. It's been going on all of my lifetime. But we as a church can be equipped to deal with the challenges of faith from generation to generation. And, you know, Judges begins right after the book of Joshua. Judges begins really summarizing and ending the life of Joshua. So if you would, look at Judges chapter 2. Let's dive into God's Word and let's see some things that God wants us to understand. Judges chapter 2, verse number 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now, pause there for just a moment. Let's think about Joshua. He left Egypt under the leadership of Moses. He walked through all the miracles that God did, not just in Egypt with the plagues, but in the wilderness as well. He was a man of faith who got to live through that 40 years in the wilderness and then go in and enter into and begin to possess the promised land. As a matter of fact, when Moses died and God took him, Joshua was the man who was raised up by God to help them settle the land of promise. If you study his life, he did an amazing job of leading God's people, but there were some areas of compromise that left the door open to the enemy and Israel suffered as a result of it but you know when Joshua came to the end of his life I don't don't have time to go back and read it but in Joshua 24 he called all the people together and said let's never forget the great things that God has done for us and make up your own mind today if you want to serve the Lord God or if you want to serve other gods that you've met along the journey or back in Egypt but he said as for me and my house we will serve the Lord And at that time, all the people of Israel rose up and said, we will serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord. And it says here in this passage of Scripture, verse 7, that Israel followed the Lord all the days of Joshua and the days of the elders who outlived him. Okay, you're with me so far? Now look at verse 8. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timneth nary in the mountains of ephraim on the north side of mount gash in verse 10 i want you to notice this verse when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers joshua the elders all those that saw the mighty works of the lord who entered into the promised land now remember those who came out of egypt most of them died in the wilderness, but the new generation went in and saw the works of the Lord, starting with the opening of Jordan's river and then the settling of the land, driving out the enemies. Here's what it says, verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Think about that. One generation removed. Now, Joshua was 110 years old, so you know, he probably had at least great-grandchildren, maybe great-great-grandchildren, maybe even great-great-great-grandchildren. But his generation that had possessed the land, all those miracles, all those amazing things, one generation later, when the next generation behind them comes along and the elders are all gone, it says the next generation did not know the Lord. What a tragedy. Can I get a bobblehead this morning? What a tragedy. What a tragedy to think that these great warriors, these great men of God could come and walk by faith and see all this amazing stuff. But when they're gone, a generation comes along on their heels that does not know the Lord or his works. Let me ask you a question today. How many of you think God had done some pretty amazing things in Joshua's lifetime? Let me ask one more question. Has God done some pretty amazing things in your lifetime? See, I have a great concern. I have a great concern. I'm going to talk to you today for a few minutes. I'm not going to be sharing for a long time, but I have a great concern. As a pastor, as a father, now as a grandfather, I have a concern that there is the possibility that after us, a generation could arise who does not know the Lord or his works. And I kind of got it in my heart that at least here at the bridge, we're going to do all we can do to keep that from happening. We're going to do what we can do. Now, let, let me talk about this for a minute. Uh, this year, you know, last Sunday, we had the culmination to our kids' summer day camp, and it was awesome. If you were here last week, it was, we had a great crowd last week. Had a lot of parents come, grandparents come because of kids' day camp, how it affected their kids. We had a great crowd, it was awesome. But I remember last year, we made a big push. We kept telling people, man, in three weeks, we're going to have summer day camp on Sunday. In two weeks, in one more week. When summer day camp Sunday came around last year, we had a tiny crowd. I was so disappointed. I thought, what happened? It it couldn't be vacation because the kids were here all week. And then I heard from two or three people, I heard this, well, we stayed home because the kids are doing service. Well, we went and did something else because it wasn't going to be a regular church. It was just the kids doing church. And I snuck up on you this year. I didn't tell you we were doing it this year. But but let me go one step beyond that. Isn't it sad that just one Sunday out of the year we can't come to church and support our kids and celebrate that they are worshiping God and jumping for God and hearing his word and committing their hearts? Can't we just one Sunday a year celebrate that? Wow, wow. But it's interesting. A generation arose that did not know God. I want my children to know God. I want my grandchildren to know God. When I'm in my, when I'm in my 80s somewhere, and I have great grandchildren, I want them to know God. When I'm about 118, 119, just before I go home, I want to see my great, 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 whatever it is, grandchildren know God. Okay, are you with me this morning? I want to pass what God has done in my life to the next generation. When I was a young man, God spoke to me one day and he said, your job is not just to raise up boys who know God, it's to raise up boys who can surpass what you know about God. I want my children to know God even more intimately than I know God. And then there's this attitude in israel in those days the next generation comes along and they don't know god and they don't know his works well what happens what happens when a generation doesn't know god look at judges 2 verse 11 i've got to move quickly here verse 11 then the children of israel did evil in the sight of the lord and they served the Baals. they served false gods they served wooden idols verse 12 and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. They turned their backs on him, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. See, what happens is, if a generation doesn't know God, they will serve other gods. They'll forsake God. Because here's, here's the truth. Here's the truth. We are created, we are designed by God to worship. And if we don't worship him, we're going to worship something else. Could be money. Could be things, possessions, lands, houses, cars. Could be people, relationships. Or it could be false gods. We are created to worship something, and if we do not follow after God, we're going to find something else to worship. So if our children do not know God, they will find a God to worship. And it said it provoked the lord to wrath god was angry that a generation didn't know didn't consider had no thought of who he was and what he was so they went and found false gods gods that were not even gods just idols and they made them the gods of their lives and they bowed down and they worship here's what's sad if you go through the book of judges Just the book of Judges, this doesn't include all the rest of Israel's history. Just the book of Judges, seven different times in the book of Judges, it says a generation arose who did not know the Lord, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the reason they call it the book of Judges, God would send a spiritual leader, a judge, to judge Israel. Because here's what happened. Every time people fell away from God and worshipped other gods, God's hand of protection was moved off of their lives. Now, let's read a little further. Judges chapter 2, verse 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Now, pause here a moment. When they turned away from God and they no longer worshiped God, God's blessing and protection that had put them in the land and helped them possess the land was moved away and the enemy came in and made them their slaves. It happened over and over and over again. So God would send a judge. He would bring revival in the land. He would rise up and deliver the people in a miraculous way. And for the rest of that generation, for several years, the people would serve the Lord. But when the judge was gone, the next generation would not know God. What it tells us is they did not follow through with teaching their children how to know God. Let's read a little further. Verse 17. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Verse 18. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And finally, verse 19. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. So here's God's interaction. The people fall into bondage god sends a deliverer he works with him delivers the people revival happens in the land but when that generation goes they didn't know how to train their children and the next generation wouldn't know god and it repeats itself over and over and over again can i just tell you real quickly the reason i'm sharing this today jesus in matthew chapter 7 talked about judgment day actually what he was talking about and he said There are going to be people who gather and say lord lord Let us in. Did we not do great things? Did we not do this? And did we not do this? Let us into your kingdom. And the Lord would say, sorry, I never knew you. See, Jesus went further and said, He'll call them workers of iniquity. In other words, you live wicked lifestyles, but while you're living this wicked lifestyle, while your heart has not been changed, while you've not been removed from the old life and had your sins washed away and your nature changed, you've lived this horrible, ungodly lifestyle while you've claimed the name of God, but he said, you know what? You never really knew me, so move away. You say, why do you share that today? Because there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. That's why there are theologians that you can listen to today who will tell you everything in this book is false. There's no miracles, there's no wonders. Jesus wasn't really the Son of God. He didn't really do this. The reason being is they know about God, but they don't know the God of the Bible. There's a big difference. And our children need to know God, not just know about God. So what do we do? What do we do? In that same chapter, Matthew 7, that I referred to a minute ago, Jesus talked about a wise man. He said, you want to know what a wise man is? A wise man, listen closely. A wise man is one who hears my words and then does them. Because a man who hears my words and then does them is likened to a man who builds his house, his life, his family, his world on a solid rock, and when the storm comes, it never faces him. But if you want to see a foolish man, it's somebody who does not do what he's heard. He just hears it. He may acknowledge it. He may not. He ignores it, but his life is built on sand. And when the storms come, it washes them away. Jesus said we can have stable lives, stable homes, stable futures if we build on the rock. If we build on the rock. On the rock. Now, I want to talk about that for a few minutes. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to read what God said to Moses back before Joshua's time concerning their children and that next generation, which we're talking about today. The generation that did not know God. This is what Mo- God said to Moses about that coming generation. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God and to keep all of his statutes and all his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged can i open your eyes to something today did you know god's word has commandments see we're living in a generation now that thinks god's word has some suggestions god didn't give us suggestions he gave us commandments he said here's what you got to do if you do this this is going to happen if you observe this this will happen if you do this this will happen if you don't then you're on your own I'm gonna tell you something. Raising children, raising grandchildren today, we do not want to be alone. We need God's help. They're being attacked from every angle. Everywhere you turn, it's ungodliness. You hear this. It's anti-God this, anti-God that. Don't believe the Scripture. Don't believe that. Don't believe what you've been taught by your parents. Don't even believe that there are concrete values. Don't believe any of that. Don't believe it. Just believe that God is up there and he's happy and he just can't wait for this life to be over because none of this matters. It's the attitude. Now, let me me read a little further. Look at verse number 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Verse 6. And these words which I command you today shall be where? In your heart. Verse 7. You shall... Come on, read out loud. You shall teach them. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, let me talk to you for just a couple of minutes here about these verses. God was speaking to Moses and his generation. Joshua was in that generation. He became the next leader, and Israel followed God all the days of Joshua. But when that generation was gone, the next generation did not know God. Here were the instructions God gave them. First of all, notice, you've got to love the Lord your God with all you've got. How do you love God today? I love him on Sundays. Average churchgoer in America today goes to church 1.3 times a month. How do you love God today? I love him 1.3 times a month. Do you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength? Do you love God with everything or you just have some fire insurance because you don't want judgment down the road? There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Well, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to believe in Jesus. That's not the call of God. The call of God is to know him and become his children. Do you know him? Do you know him? The first thing is to love God. That's your first priority. Love God and put him first on the the throne of your heart, the throne of your life. God is first. Then our next priority from Scripture, next priority, is to teach our children to follow God's instructions. There's there's been a breakdown in the church world. I told you earlier, I'm going to talk to you as a a dad, a grandpa, and a pastor today. I've been raised in church my whole life. There has always been a breakdown in the church. Now, I'm going to promise you, nobody here in this room is perfect. And if you're looking for perfection, you're looking in the wrong place. You need to look up stay with me a minute here. There's been a breakdown because we've known about God and we've known his instructions, but we've not always followed and obeyed his instructions. Number one, love God, then apply his word to your life. Jesus said if you apply the word, it establishes your house. Apply God's word to your life. Then the next thing he says is we are to teach God's commandments, God's principles to our children. What it literally says is we are to teach them diligently. You know what it means? When it says teach them diligently, it's all one word in the original writings, and it means to point intensively at something. Teach them diligently, point at it and point at it and point at it and point at it it intensely until they finally get it and they finally understand it. But here's the flip side of it. Here's where we oftentimes fail from generation to generation. We teach things, but we don't always model things. Do as I say, not as I do because i said so all these things if we don't back it up with actions that we are walking with god it confuses the next generation it's always been a problem so don't feel bad it's not like well this is the first no we're not the first generation it happens every generation now let me go a little bit further you say okay if i'm going to teach them diligently point intensively how am i supposed to do that he told us how he said talk about it at home talk about it at home he had some great ideas did you know did you know god has some great ideas i think every now and then we think oh god you don't even understand what's going down here you know what he came down here and lived the perfect life among us he knows how to navigate life here's what he said he said talk about him at home talk are you talking with your kids and your grandkids at home about god I had a conversation with Pastor Jeremy this week. He's on vacation this week, but had a conversation last week. I said, Pastor Jeremy, we we need to figure out, starting this fall, how to add a new dimension to children's ministry. Now, if you've got kids in children's ministry, when you pick up your children, they have a piece of paper that tells you or tells them what the lesson was about and some different things. We're going to add a new dimension to it, and we're going to put things in our children's hands every week that they can take home to mom and dad and grandpa and grandma and give mom and dad and grandpa and grandma a role in talking about what they were taught on Sunday. I mean, seems pretty simple to me. Maybe a big deal to some people, but it seems to me it's one of those things maybe we should have been helping people with all along so that we can talk with our children at home about what they're hearing at church. He even said, as you travel on the road, talk about it. Are you talking to your children in the car? When you're driving down the road, do you ever talk about God or is it always something else? He said, when you go to bed at night, talk to your children about God. When my boys were little every night, from the time they got old enough to understand, we had a devotional book that we read. We read stories, short stories from the Bible, and it had like three questions to ask. And we would ask those questions until the boys could answer them properly. If they didn't understand it, we'd go back and read the story over again so they would learn the lessons from the Bible. If you can learn lessons from the Bible as you get older, then you can process what's important out of those stories and how it applies to life today. But are you teaching God's Word to your children? Are you praying with them at night? Are you praying with them? One of the things that, and I, you know, I don't do this often, I throw my chest out about when, when my boys were little going to school, in elementary school, their teachers, they went to a Christian school when they were in uh, the first few years in school, several years, the teachers would tell us when we had teachers' conferences, said, one thing about your boys, they are not angels. It came from me. Number 2 Number 2 When we have prayer time in the class I like to have your boys pray cuz they know how to pray You know where they learned to pray? It was going to bed at night. We prayed for every little, not just what was important to us. We prayed for the little things that were important to them. My friend, so and so, my friend's mommy, my friend's whatever it was, we prayed about those things. And we took the Lord's Prayer and we taught them how to pray that. And then at the end of every night, before they went to sleep, when we finished our time, we would always go through the Lord's Prayer together and recite it together. Because I wanted to learn how to talk with God. Talk to him at bedtime before they go to sleep. And he goes one step further and says, Talk to him in the morning. Do you ever talk to your children in the morning before they head off to school? Do you talk to them about God? Do you ask them about what's going on that day? Do you take time to just pray for them that they'll have safety and protection while they're off at school? God said, if you fill your home with God, your children will be affected by it. Then he even said, take your word and fasten it to your hands. You know what he's saying he was saying let your actions be what your words are don't just hear the word and don't just talk about it but let your actions be an expression of the word you know what it is you know what the scriptural word is when your hands and your feet express god's word that's faith we want generational faith we want to pass something on to the generation but following us that they will follow god how do we do that we live the life before them and we model for them what it means to walk with god he said, fasten it to your hands. Then he went a little bit further. He said, make it as frontlets between your eyes. Get little boxes and put a strap and wrap it around your head so that it's right there between your eyes That everything you look at in life, you see it through God's Word and you understand it through God's Word. See, today we're, we in the church are allowing society to tell our children how to think and they're viewing God's Word and Him through the eyes of society instead of it being the other way around. We need to see the world through the eyes of God's word and then teach our children how to do that and talk to them. Talk to them about it. And finally, he said, write these commandments on the doorpost, the threshold that enters into your house. Write the commandments there. As a matter of fact, he said, go out to the gates of your property. Go out to the yard where people come on your property and write them on the, on the post there so that you make up your mind as a mom, as a dad, grandpas and grandmas, the parents. We make up our minds that nothing comes onto my property, nothing comes into my house that does not align with God's Word. If it, if it mocks God's Word, if it makes fun of God's Word, it doesn't come into our house. We throw it away and put it in the trash can. Let God's Word be the boundaries for our lives. I say this all the time and I'm almost finished. I say this all the time, but I want to move to the end with this thought. It's the responsibility of the church to reinforce what we're teaching at home. It's the responsibility of the church to reinforce what your children are being taught at home, which means... It's the responsibility of moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas to teach their children and model for them what God's Word says so we can reinforce it behind you with their friends and their peers in group settings. We can only reinforce what's being taught at home. Many years ago, when I first started pastoring, I spent a few weeks with the youth group on Wednesday nights, talking to them. We didn't have a youth pastor at the time. And I spent some time with them on Wednesday nights. And, you know, I was 31 years old. I was really young. I was cool. I mean, I was awesome back then. Uh, I'm pretty awesome today, but I was really awesome back then. Had hair. Had a dark beard instead of a gray beard. But I spent time with the youth on Wednesday night. And one night in discussion, I asked them the question, tell me how your parents are different than the people next door. And they looked at me like, what do you mean? I said okay so I asked it like five different ways and finally I said don't your parents as Christians live differently than unsafe people around you every person in that youth group shook their head and said no our children need to know that our homes are different from other homes because we follow the teachings of the Lord we've got to teach it and we've got to model it before them because sometimes What we're doing speaks so loudly that they can't hear a word we're saying. We need to live it. One last thing. I think we need to celebrate our victories with our kids. Has anybody had had God do something great in your life in the last year or so? Has God done anything great? Got a lot of hands going up. Have you talked to your kids about it? Man, celebrate those victories. It's interesting. When God delivered Israel out of Egypt's bondage, he said, I want to establish the Passover. So every year your children are taught the great thing that I did back there. When they crossed Jordan's River, they built a monument there in the river and up on the riverbank. They piled up stones, and God told them from generation to generation, as the years go by, when the kids come along and say, what's that big pile of stones? Tell them how I opened up the waters of the Jordan River and led you into this land. Amen. But one generation later, a generation arose that did not know the Lord nor his mighty works. Celebrate your victories. Can I make a little suggestion with you? Some of you think, especially depending on where you've come from, church backgrounds, you know a good thing to do? One of the things that Jesus gave us to do is take communion. Do you ever take communion with your family and just tell your children what those emblems are all about? Let them know how important that is. Explain to them what water baptism is all about. Talk to your children. And last of all, Just three things I want to conclude with. Three thoughts real quick. The thing that always creates problems from generation to generation is compromise. Compromise is a silent killer. You read it throughout scriptures. You read it in Judges. You read it in every book of the Bible. Compromise, compromise, compromise opens the door to other gods. Now, let me just share three things. In the book of Judges that you see, number one, when children do not know God, they serve idols. Many years ago, I had a pastor friend who went to camp with his kids and they had a horrific problem with one girl in the camp. I mean, it was almost demonic. It was crazy, crazy. This girl was so out of control, and her dad was an elder in the church. And they had all these problems, so much rebellion, and she just resisted and fought everything, wouldn't participate, caused all kinds of problems with the youth group. They got home, they called her parents in, sat down in the pastor's office and said, look, here's what your daughter did. She did this, you did this. And the parents said, did you really do that? And she said, yes, I did. They begin to try to find out what's at the root of this? why are you doing this? why are you being so rebellious? why are you being so hateful? And she said, I was sitting in the back putting a demonic spell on everything they were trying to do in those church services. She opened up her purse and showed them a book she had of how to put demonic spells on people and people groups. She said, "I've been following the witch's book." her dad began to weep and cry listen closely her dad began to weep and cry He said honey honey how did you start she said I got into music and the music the message led me there he said where did you start hearing that music she said in your car in your car because I found in your car a power that was so real and i never saw any real power in your life how sad friends you need to teach your children day after day after day who the real god is and celebrate victories and teach them the ways of god number 2 secondary of compromise blurred lines and no boundaries You see it throughout the book of Judges. I'm almost finished, so so hang with me. I know some of you are ready to go, but please give me a couple more minutes. Blurred lines. No boundaries. Scripture says that in different places, in Judges, that the people didn't know what to do and where to go. They had nobody to show them the way. So everybody did what was right in his own eyes. That's what our kids are being taught today there are no absolutes you choose whatever is right for you that leads to ungodliness and the third thing and I know this is really going to be touchy, but I share this as a pastor as a father and as a grandfather one of the commandments God gave to his people was do not allow your children to marry people from other religious backgrounds. I know this is a firecracker in our society today. All roads lead to God. No, they don't. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches there's one way to God is through Jesus Christ. Now listen closely to me. God said, don't let your children marry the sons and the daughters of these other peoples who serve other gods, because if you do, when that union comes together they're going to bring all the gods together and they're going to be confused about it and there's going to be such compromise that they no longer follow god and it happened generation after generation after. well but that's old testament stuff you know what the new testament tells us paul said first corinthians i believe it's chapter six he said don't be joined together with unbelievers don't get into contractual agreements don't get your lives wrapped around unbelievers because it'll lead you in a wrong direction don't be joined together we need to teach our children i know i know this is a fine line and some of you are like i don't know about this i'll give you the scripture if you want to hear it if you don't want to hear it that's on you but here's the point you need to teach your children why they need to look for other christian believers when they start dating when they start choosing friends when they start finding who they're going to run with there are reasons why god's word told us to be careful who you're running with Amen. And if you don't like the message, I'll buy the CD. It's okay. Now, I know I'm a little long today. I'll be faster second service. But let me close with this. The last thing is, you can leave here today thinking, man, I'm, I've been a total failure. No, you haven't. What do you do about prodigals? It's interesting that God gave us the story of the prodigal son and the father. How he dealt with his son. How God deals with us. What do you do if you've got prodigals? I don't want a show of hands. I raised my boys to know God. I raised my boys to walk with God. When my boys got out of high school, they decided they needed to figure it out for themselves. Zach hasn't talked about it much, but he ran down the wrong road for a while. Zane ran down the wrong road for a while. For a long time. I mean, no Zane. A long, long time. But I want you to listen closer to me. I'm almost finished. What do you do if you've got prodigals? You don't give up on them. And you don't go back and ignore it and act like, well, they they prayed the prayer when they were little kids, so that's all that matters. It's much more than that. What do you do if you've got prodigals? Here's what you do. Number one, you pray for them. Every single day. How do I pray? I'm going to give you three things. Pray a hedge of protection around them. Satan told God, well, you got a hedge of protection built around Job I don't have the time to teach on Job, but do you know what Job was doing in the first couple chapters of Job? He was spending every day praying for his kids, offering up sacrifices, because he knew they were out partying, not living right. That's what was consuming Job. Go back and read it for yourself. Pray for your kids. Pray that God will build a hedge of protection around them and keep keep them safe, that even in the middle of all their foolishness and rebellion, they won't meet destruction. Pray for them. Pray that their eyes will be opened to the truth. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, the God of this world has blinded people that they can't see the truth. Pray that they will see the truth. A third thing you need to pray is pray that God will soften their hearts. Hebrews 3 talks about rebellion in our lives. It comes because we harden our hearts against God. Pray that your kids' hearts will be softened. And will testify to this. Zach and Zane will never know how many nights we laid in bed in the middle of the night praying for them because we didn't know where they were, what they were doing, but we knew they weren't in a good place. Pray for your kids. Pray for your kids. God answers prayers. Another thing we need to do, we need to confess our mistakes to our kids and correct those mistakes. Did you ever make any mistakes raising your kids? Anybody besides me? You need to go back and apologize and correct it. Tell them, I'm sorry. I did what I knew to do. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I want to show you what love is really all about. Third thing you can do, don't condemn them. Don't constantly preach and tell them they're going to hell. Don't condemn them. Model what's right. Live the right life and love them. And the last thing, love them and keep the light on because they're coming home. Keep the light on the front porch. They're coming. I'm always amazed, the father of the prodigal, when the prodigal comes staggering down the road, dirty, filthy, nasty. Dad's out in the front yard looking down the road saying, I think that's my son coming home. Get out of the front porch and start looking for him. They're coming home. They're coming home. I want to pray for you today. Can I do that? Just bow your heads. Father. It's a big job raising kids. It's getting harder with every new generation. But you promised you had grace for all of us. Father, I pray right now in every family, number one, you'd show them what to do that they might not be doing at home, that they need to be doing. Number two, I pray you would show them how to be a godly example for their kids, that they not just preach at them, but they live a life before them that the kids see righteousness in their parents then father i pray for families who've got prodigals families who've got kids who are rebellious right now father we're not going to give up we're going to keep praying we're going to keep praying we're going to keep praying and we're going to keep looking down the road and keep the front porch light on because those kids are coming home While heads are bowed and eyes are closed my time is gone While heads are bowed and eyes are closed maybe you're here today Maybe you've never committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never made Jesus your Lord. But maybe as you've listened to this today, you've heard it, and you've thought, you know what, that, that, that's right. That's right. I, I need God to get involved in my life. I need my life to change and my lifestyle to change. I need God's help. Maybe you're concerned about eternity. If you die today, where do you spend eternity? You can begin to settle that right now opening your heart to God and if you right now if you feel the presence of God something knocking on the door of your heart that's God he's simply looking for you to open the door and say please come into my life heads are bowed and eyes are closed I'm going to ask everybody in the house pray this prayer with me say God I need you and I ask you into my life because I need you Jesus be the Lord of my life forgive me of my sins Wash them all away. I want to become your child. I want to know you now and forever. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He died for my sins, was raised from the dead. From this moment forward, Jesus is my Savior, and I'll learn to make him the Lord of my life. I will follow you now you are my father and i am your child thank you for receiving me amen amen if you prayed that prayer this morning it's the most important decision you can ever make in life the most important prayer you can ever pray if you've been away from god and you've been the prodigal welcome home we're glad you're back but this morning before you go we want to help you get started walking with god we've got a little booklet a little tool called the next Seven Days. It's just got a little reading for the next week to get you started understanding God's plan, how he wants to be involved in your life. We want to give it to every one of you who prayed that prayer today. When we're finished in a minute, there'll be prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. If you just walk down to the front and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right here. If you want to visit, if you got questions, if you want prayer for something else, they're here for you. If you just want to get it and go, that's okay. We want to put it in your hand and get you started today. Or if you're in a big rush, you can go out into the lobby and just before you go out the exit doors, right between the main doors coming in, the glass doors, there's a table set up there. It says the next seven days, we'll give you the same thing there. You can get it there. God bless you. We love you. Can we just welcome people into God's family together today? Awesome. Awesome. It is so good just being together in God's house, in his presence, and in his word this morning.